Welcome to the Manager Tools Members Only Podcast for June 2006. Hi, this is Michael Ozen, and welcome to the Manager Tools Registered Members Podcast for June 2006. Today, Mark Horseman and I cover the last in our series on the basic disk profiles. Now, over the past three months, we've covered the D, dominance, the I, influence, the S, steadiness, and today, finally, we walk through the C, or the conscientious, profile in detail. Now, this one should be particularly interesting in that an awful lot of our audience most likely fall into this particular profile and have at least a high component of C in their profile. Now, like the last disc podcast, it isn't necessary that you listen to the other high I, high D, high S podcast, but you will want to have listened to our regular weekly show on the disc profile, Improve Your Feedback, in February 17th of 2006, and you can find that in the archives. Without that high-level overview, this podcast won't be nearly as effective as it could be. If you've been following these podcasts, you'll be aware of our How to Use the Disc to Be More Effective Everyday Cheat Sheet, available in the Members section on the website. So for those of you trying to get the most out of this cast, just like last time, it wouldn't be a bad idea to print the cheat sheet out and have it next to you for reference during the podcast. So with that, let's get on with the show. We know a lot, whole lot of high C's, which is what we're going to talk about today, of course. We do. And, you know, actually, I think, Mike, that it's interesting that because podcasting has tended to be um, adapted, adopted more quickly by the technology community, I suspect that the disk model, that, that we're the disk um, distribution, if you will, of, of our listeners is skewed um, high D, high C, probably more high C's than the, than the uh, typical population sample yeah um high d high c is a classic it uh behavioral profile because so, d's and c's are both focused on tasks you know the it world is not a people focused world um you know when when it people meet consultants they're like geez what a schmoozer what a salesperson, you know? Yeah, I know they drive that big bmw and, and apparently corporate america really appreciates their skills <laughs> but I have no respect for their intellect and intellect what it's all about. So, yeah, we know a lot of high C's. And when I was working with you, I stood out. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was yeah, pretty clear who the I consultant was. was. Yeah, I might have been a high D, but I had the high I going for me, too, and some of these high C's. And you had some very smart high C's working for you that I could just see them looking at me going, this guy's not that smart. <laughs> well, they yeah, they, the, the salesy thing is probably what they picked up on. Most of yeah, the, exactly. the high sure. eye piece, you fast talking, yeah. smooth talking. Yeah, you know, dre- dressed in yeah. Armani suits. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, okay. So first question we always ask ourselves on on these monthly casts about uh, going through the top four, and this is the last one. It's kind of kind of a sad note. We're doing the last of four monthly casts that have been very well received. This one's on high seas. So let's start with how to spot them. Um, if uh, they broad overview first, the way we always do, let's talk about some famous high C's. Well, if people have pointy ears, they're a high C, yeah, right? There you go, exactly. If you've got pointy ears, a la Mr. Spock of Star Trek, you're a high C. He truly is the classic um, 
another perfect example is Joe Friday of Dragnet. Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. Uh, no smile, just work. Um, Meryl Streep. And, and actually, one of my favorites in terms of a modern version is Gil Grissom, the CSI Las Vegas male lead played by the actor William Peterson. That kind of never smiling, focused on work detail. In fact, I would argue that there are a lot of high seas in crime scene investigations all over the country. Um, that, that analytical, um, the perfectionist, the logical ones, the accountants, the engineers, the research scientists. They're methodical, they're cautious. God, we need people like this in the world. Um, they like to take their time to think things through. Think things through to keep people from like me from going off <laughs> half cocked. <laughs> the more data they have, the happier they are. I, I really should hire a high C uh, assistant. That would be ideal. But I keep hiring hiring assistants like myself. It would be it would be very good. But you both would go crazy. <laughs> I suspect you're right. Um, some people would say about high C's that they practice something called analysis paralysis. Um, unlike high D's, who are famous for saying ready, fire, aim, high C's like to say ready, aim, 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 aim. <laughs> and, and, the, and, and standing next to them, the high D's head explodes. And the high I says, well, if the guy's head's going to explode, let's go have a drink. <laughs> and the high S says, how's everybody feeling? And here's the high C saying, aim, 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 aim. More data, please. Yeah, how's everybody feeling about the fact that the guy can't make a decision? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's the high, C, high S, right? Um, high C's like working within well-defined processes and systems. Uh, and, and, and they will be the person who makes suggestions to improve the system and the process that they're working within. When things go wrong, high C's are classically the ones to say a rule was violated. If you'd have just followed the rules, everything would be okay. Or a process was ignored. Or a high I, a horseman, played fast and loose and had no data to support their ID. Their, their, uh, had no data to support their wild idea. Um, high C's think everything without data is a wild idea. On the other hand, with data, the craziest thing in the world, data that supports it, that makes it logical, that makes it rational, that makes it reasonable, the craziest thing in the world seems normal to them. High C's generally do not like, they, in many cases, they absolutely hate uncontrolled or emotional acts. Um, I, I suspect that high C's would never watch a show like Fear Factor. Hmm. They probably like shows like Jeopardy. I'm just guessing. Um, I, I could be wrong about that. Um, I, I, there are times when I wonder why anybody watches any TV shows. Although, uh, earlier this evening, I watched a little bit of Hoosiers, which was playing and thought, now there's a reason for the TV to be invented. Great movies like that. That'll come into my house. Um, I have a story, Mike, if we've got a minute about, about really a perfect story shared to me and to many, many people in the world by my, um, former partner in, uh, in, in my consulting firm. Um, his daughter's name is Alora, and Alora is a CPA, very bright person, um, a really a keen analytical mind Alora has. And she was the CFO, still is the CFO, of a pharmaceutical company in San Diego. And Alora is a classic high C, off the charts. Now, when you get to know her, she's very personable. She cares about the people in her family and her life. She's a good person. 
Um, but when you first meet her, you get that kind of neutral facial expression that makes you wonder, gosh, is this a friendly person? You're not, not really sure. And I want to tell you about a typical day in Alora's work life. Laura got to work at uh, about 7.45, and that gave her a chance to uh, go to the uh, break room and get a cup of tea and heat the tea up in the microwave and then go to her office and turn on her computer. And at 8 o'clock, her computer was on. She was behind the desk. The door was closed, and she would work until about 10 or 10.15 when there was a company-sponsored break. She would take a 15-minute break by going to the break room and getting a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, coming back to her office, closing the door, and working until noon when it was lunch hour. And, of course, she was working on financial analyses and reports and so on. Um, when she sat in meetings, she would essentially take notes and provide reports. When she went to lunch, she walked across the street to Balboa Park, sat on a bench, ate, ate uh, lunch outside in the wonderful San Diego weather, usually by herself, took a walk sometimes, came back to the office, and was ready to work at 1 o'clock. She'd work until about 2.30 when there was a company-sponsored break, and she'd go get her cup of tea and spend 10, 15 minutes out of the office, get back to the office, close the door, and continue working. And at 5 o'clock, when it was time to go home, Alora turned off her computer and went home. And so could the rest of those crazy people who worked there if they wouldn't spend all their time jacking their jaws with their buddies and talking at the water cooler and emailing crazy stuff back and forth, jokes and silly videotapes and going, going to look on the internet for funny stuff and checking out urban legends and telling everybody about how their weekend was. What a complete waste of time if they did their job and only their job they could go home at 5 o'clock and be with their family the way she was. And life was good for Alora, until, <laughs> until her pharmaceutical company decided to go public. Well, if you know anything about going public, it's, an, it's a financial analytical nightmare in a way in terms of reporting. And for a period of a couple of months, Alora's role as a CFO was to talk the company up, financially speaking, in a series of cocktail parties and dinners with a roving band of analysts that would come in from Wall Street and analyze the company to determine whether or not it was a good investment for their institutional shareholders and um, uh, or institutional investors, I'm sorry. And um, and so Alora would go home and go get ready to go to a cocktail party and get dressed up a little bit and then go and have a lovely time and chat and have a glass of wine and chat people up and be friendly and outgoing and warm and personal and then go home and throw up. Wow. To me, that's the ultimate story of adaptability. And she's quite good at it. I mean, when Laura decided to be personal, she was wonderful. It was not her natural way. But that, to me, is a perfect example of someone who find a job, found a career, found a, a profession, a lifestyle, a work professional lifestyle that was perfectly fitted for her, and she was very good at it, as I say. And then when, when her work threw a curveball and it required a different set of skills, she could adapt. Oh, she might not have been as naturally schmoozy and gifted networking as, as some high eyes in the world or as a salesperson. Uh, but nevertheless, she was very effective at what she did. It was just terribly uncomfortable. It was like, like chewing glass for her. And she figured out a way to make it work, and she did it. Wow. And that's a high seat at a cocktail party. Hmm. So, you, so okay. how you? Uh, so this is about how to spot them. So you go in the bathroom, and those throwing up in the <laughs> toilet are high C's. No, no. is that the, is that the no. lesson here? No, uh, Mike. We have a lot of high C's listening. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm sure we're going to get some feedback on that comment there, or if not feedback, comments, some kind of comments. Um, 
Let's, let's talk about verbal, vocal, and visual clues. That's the way we've been breaking down these discussions. Um, verbally, when you start interacting with somebody who might be a high C, what are you going to hear verbally? First of all, they're going to tend to ask questions versus making statements. Remember, a high C is a task-focused and reserved person. They're reserved like the high S, and they're task-focused like the high D. They're exactly opposite, not exactly, but essentially in the model, they're opposite the high I, who is assertive and people-focused. The high C, and if you st think about, the again, the model, we start with the D in the top left corner, the top left quadrant of a circle, and we go around the circle clockwise fashion. So top right is high I, bottom right is high S, and bottom left is high C. So the D, the D and S are opposite one another, and the I and C are opposite one another. So, um, whereas the high I opposite them loves to make statements, bold, brash, um, big statements, the high C tends to ask questions versus making statements. They want to gather more data. That's why they ask questions. They tend to listen more than they talk. They're a reserved person in general. They love to absorb data. Um, when they're interrupted, they tend to stop talking. Um, because again, that's their natural reserve showing through. They tend to have a slower pace of speech. It comes across as measured or methodical or, or formal or um, even logical or step-by-step -step in its delivery. Um, they also tend to go, when you ask them for, for elaboration, they'll go back a couple of steps and build a compelling case rather than telling you the one thing they need to, to tell you. Um, the feeling that a high I has um, when a high C starts answering their question is they hear this start of a long-winded answer, and, and what it translates into the high I's brain is, when I was born, <laughs> and the high I is thinking, I really don't need to know that much. Is the answer seven or five? And, and the high C's answer is, well, that depends. And when the high says, well, what does it depend on? The high C says, well, that too depends. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we have a friend, and you know, you know Brad. I think Brad actually oh, gosh, listens yes. to these podcasts, and he knows full well that he's high C because we joke about it all the time. But he, when he starts telling a story about something at work, he starts off by telling you the color of the person's shirt and the color of their socks. It's... <laughs> <laughs> And you know what? If he's talking to another high C, that's wonderful. That's the great thing about the model. The model tells you, hey, if you observe these kind of behaviors and they're very similar to you, you get to talk to that person in, normal, in what would appear normal to you. But if I'm talking to Brad, which is always amusing, <laughs> um, he, he looks at me like I have two heads. And of course, I look at him like he has no head. No, I'm kidding, Brad. Um, <laughs> um, Caesar taking a hit on this call. No, <laughs> no, no. Um, Brad knows how highly I think of him. But but when we talk to one another, we struggle at times. Uh, partially because when we're together, we're in social situations. So our natural tendency is to be more relaxed, more like ourselves, and to forget that it's worth it to work a little bit to try to reach out in terms of a, a style and a, a, pref a behavioral preference to, to match the other person's style a little bit. The high C mic asks why questions. We mentioned that they ask questions. They like to ask why questions. And the reason why is they want other people's behavior. They want a system or process to inform that behavior. They want to know, 
why you're doing it that way and try to infer from what you're doing what the underlying construct is that you're using to approach this particular problem, this particular situation at work. And if they can understand that, if they can infer that from your behaviors, it will help them understand why you're doing what you're doing, make suggestions, make corrections, and so on. Very powerful. High C's ask lots of why questions. Um, they, they're not big on small talk at all, as you might imagine. They tend to be reserved. Remember, they're like high S's. They're reserved. And they're like high D's in terms of being task-focused. And if you're reserved and task-focused, the last thing you want to do is engage in chit-chat. Right, right. Um, uh, and, and they generally are fairly precise and detailed in their speech. They'll pause. They won't start a sentence and go, wait, I'll go back. Let me, let me, let me say it again. I, 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 this is really exciting. They don't ever come to you and say, I can't, I can't wait to tell you how excited I am. I don't know if I can get this out of my head. It's just so interesting. If, if I were to walk into a high C's office and say, you're not going to believe this is the coolest thing in the world. I, I actually think that high C's hate the word cool. It's like, a, yeah, well, <laughs> you know, cool doesn't cut it for me, man. <laughs> Um, if I were to do that to a high C, to a CF, CFO, they would say, okay, sit down, young man. Let's take a moment. Let's, let's understand what you're talking about here. Speak slowly. Use big words. <laughs> um, <laughs> they don't blurt things out. And they find when other people blurt things out, they don't appreciate it. Um, they believe that when they're talking, um, as I said earlier, that, that, that um, they're, they're, the process is or the ground rule is they're supposed to be talking. So when other people interrupt, that's a, that's a breaking of the ground rules. Um, so they're very precise when they talk. They don't blur things out. They're not going to interrupt when you're talking. You're going to find that they pause and listen and reflect on what you've said for a full second sometimes before they respond to you. Good. Okay. okay. So that's what they say. How, how do they say it? In other words, vocal clues. First of all, very little inflection. Of all four of the styles, the high C gives you very little vocal clues. If you're interacting with somebody and you think, boy, I just can't get any sense of them from the vocal tone, inflection, pitch, speed, pace change, any of that kind of stuff, you're probably talking to a high C. Fairly monotone, actually. Um, they, don't, they don't feel a need to be too inflection-oriented. A little bit lower, a little bit quieter, a little bit slower, more measured and considered. Um, generally just not a lot of clues here because again they don't want to to jump into the realm of a high eye and become salesy and pitchy because that would then imply that emotions might rule the day and they don't want emotions to rule the day they want you to look at their pile of data and say my pile of data your pile of data mr high c is better than mine um, and we shouldn't get excited about data. We should simply analyze the data and, and know that it's the right data. It's the right information we need. It's a logical choice that we're making. Yeah, just facts. Yeah, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. Um, there is, I will say, you know, we, we joke about high Cs in the same way that high Cs and everybody else, by the way, Mike, jokes about high Ds. Um, you know, high D is the one that gets on the elevator and keeps pushing the button until it breaks, <laughs> e even though they know that in the history of elevators, the button causes the door to close in about two seconds, and you just have to wait two seconds, which seems like an eternity for high Ds. Um, <clears throat> but... Um, High C is the classic example of a high C learning a different style, um, which, by the way, high C's can be very good at learning if we, if we provide them information that will help them understand why a different approach would be better. Uh, in one of the Star Trek movies, Mr. Spock was killed, and the next movie he comes back, uh, 
and brought back to life, and he has to relearn all of his Vulcan knowledge. And he's sitting at a bunch, he's standing at a bunch of computer terminals, and in the course of standing there, they're asking him all these complex questions about about Vulcan history and about algebra and about I'm sure complex stuff that I don't even know what it is. And then all of a sudden, one of the computer consoles asks him, "How are you?" And he says, uh, "That's an irrelevant question," or something to that effect. And and the computer says again, "How are you?" And he says, "Non non-responsive question or non-effective question." And his mother happens to be there and says, "No, Spock. Actually, it's an effective question. It's a reasonable question. You're half human, and as humans, we pay attention to our emotions." And he says, "I'm sorry. I just don't understand." Well, the movie goes on. That's the beginning of the movie. At the end of the movie. Um, Spock and, and Captain Kirk, of course, have saved the day. And I think it's one of the, it's the one with the whales where they come back to Earth in the, in the past. And they're accused of something and there's a trial, but they're, they're not convicted or something like that. And at the very end, his father comes up to him. Spock's father comes up to him as an ambassador and says, I'm taking my leave now. I'm going back to Vulcan. Should I pass on along any wishes to your mother? And Spock says, yes, tell her I'm fine. Um, that was Spock's effort at being emotional, as embracing the human side of himself. Um, please, high seas, don't write me and say that I implied that you were not human. Um, <laughs> because I've worked for many high seas, and they're all smarter than me and much more logical. And with enough data, yeah, in fact, you can be more effective than other people. There are times to get data, and there are times to move quickly. And it takes all kinds to make the world an interesting place to be on a day-to-day -day basis. Okay, visual clues. Not a lot of facial expressions. Again, high Cs tend to be not contact-oriented terribly much. Um, uh, often, they're not the one to stick out their hand first, although they will stick out their hand and shake hands, of course. A lot of times, the reason they don't shake hands at work is because their hands are full of stuff. They're carrying around binders and, and, and Excel spreadsheets and data and notebooks and books and so on. Um, so they, they were busy. Um, they don't tend to make a lot of eye contact when they move to the office, going from office to office. Um, they tend to have a less animated face, as we suggested. Not not a lot of eye contact because the reserved folks, the S's and C's, tend to tend to see eye contact as a little bit assertive and even aggressive in some cases. Slower uh, body language, smaller gestures, um, and as we all like to tell, remind people, the the D's and I's of the world tend to make gestures above and above their shoulders and outside of their body and below their waist. Whereas uh, the S's and C's of the world is more reserved, tend to gesture above the waist, below the neck, and inside the, out, the outlines of the torso. Uh, those tend to be smaller and more controlled gestures. If you look at their workplace, Mike, they tend to be um, somewhat sterile, perhaps, not as warm and fuzzy as some other people's. Uh, and often there's either the desk is exceptionally clean or there are a lot of piles of work because ICs love to have a lot of stuff around them, um, a lot of piles of work on the desk. But they're neat. Cool. Okay. Now that we've identified how to, how to identify, how, now that we've identified how to identify, <laughs> now that we've learned how to identify ICs, um, what, what can we do to communicate with them more effectively? Okay. Let's start with in general. Um, ICs don't like aggression. So we want to approach them indirectly. We want to send them an email first, positioning an idea, and then follow up with a data. Uh, high, by the way, high Cs are the ones that send you, uh, you high Ds and high Is, the attachments that you never open. <laughs> <laughs> um, so send them your data in advance. Don't ask for a decision right away. Um, hey, the idea of walking into a high Cs uh, um, 
office and saying, hey, real quick, I need something from you? The high C, the first response to that is, I don't think so. I mean, you're, you may be saying what's important to you when you say real quick, um, but the high C's first response to that is actually negative. Um, now, if you say, I need your input, they're all ears. On the other hand, subtle difference, if you say to a high C, I need your opinion, high C's are not big on opinions. They're big on facts. So what you want is, I need your input. Or can you give me some insight? Or can you make a recommendation? That those are analytical words. Those are professional words. Those are words they respect. Oh, you want to drive a high C crazy? Do this. It's fun. I, I, <laughs> I do this all the time. Is uh, like just go in their office and say, "Hey, you know that the data you started collecting, you know, a month ago, you got like three months left. Could you just summarize that and just give me a, a high level? Uh, yeah." picture of uh, one pager one pager in the next like 15 minutes yeah (laughs) and 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 as as in in the interest of fairness if you want to drive a high d crazy walk into their office sit down slouch a little bit pick something up off their desk and say hey man how was your weekend (laughs) (laughs) no wait before you start let me tell you about mine Um, oh God! Oh yeah, that's right. You, you your ID—that's just driving you nuts, isn't it? <laughs> hey, just the thought of it just, <laughs> it just makes your skin crawl, doesn't it? And the high S's are thinking, isn't? Wouldn't that be a nice thing to do on Monday to schedule a half an hour to go from person to person office and just say to them, "How was your weekend?" <laughs> or or what are you doing? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, saying, what do you do? Oh, man, that would drive me nuts. Anyway, um, okay, how to communicate. They don't, they don't, they're not big on aggression. They like to think logically. Show them your logic and data up front. And, and, you know, they like to review the data, so don't summarize, like Mike says. Give them written reports first. They love accuracy and completeness. Don't be surprised if they say you're missing something. Don't fight them. Agree. Go get the data that they want. Now, the third time they ask for more data, say, look, I'm sorry, we have to go with the data we've gotten. And quite frankly, if you're dealing with managers or directors or executives, they know that they can't ready aim, 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 aim all the time. Although sometimes high C bosses of high I's, high S's, high D's tend to want more and more and more data. It just so happens that they will get to the point where they have enough data, but it's always longer than the high D, high I, or high S wants it to take. Okay. Let's talk about delegating, Mike. Um, if you're going to delegate to a high C, at hey, one one point in general, though, mm. they, they you know they what's important, you know, they're proud of their accuracy. So yeah, if you want if you want to compliment a high C, you know, compliment them on the thoroughness and correctness. There you go. Not the fact that their suit looks good. Yes, or or great presentation last week. Yeah, right, they, right. They, they the only way reason a presentation is great is if their recommendations are followed. Yep. Um, Okay, when we delegate to our ICs, it work for us. We want to take our time. They're going to ask a lot of questions. It's okay. So go into the meeting knowing it's going to take longer than you thought. In fact, tell them you have a half hour, but schedule, an, you know, tell, schedule a half hour, but leave an hour open on your calendar. Um, be willing in advance to go over everything twice because they'll ask questions. And that's okay. If you prepare for that, it makes it less irritating. You don't want to be irritated while you're, de- irritated while you're delegating. It just doesn't come across well. Um, show them all the steps you expect, but expect them to add some steps as well. They want to show you that they're smart by, by sharpshooting a little bit the approach that you've taken. They're going to want to gather more data. That takes time. Um, on the other hand, though, 
they may need help reaching out to others. And a lot of times, if you want to delegate and use delegation as a developmental opportunity for a high C, um, then you want to choose a project that requires them to reach out. What they'll do is they'll do a lot of the data gathering that doesn't require them to reach out first. And so you're going to be, you need to be explicit about reporting standards because, and deadlines because they will say, look, I know it was supposed to be two weeks, but there's more data I need. And you're going to have to be willing as a boss of a high C to say, I don't care how much more data you want. I want to report by Wednesday based on the data you have. And when the high C says, you know, I really think that just if you'll give me till Friday, then I will get that last piece of data. And I'll tell you what will happen, folks. It's happened to me. I'm a high I. I'm exact opposite of a high C. Um, you give them till Friday, they say, look, unfortunately, somebody was out. I did get one piece of data. I need two more. I'll probably have it by next Wednesday. And you are in rotating deadline hell. And there is no way out <laughs> unless you say to them, nope, Wednesday it is. We're going to go with the data you have by Wednesday. Um, and you'll probably find that you have to be very direct with them and say, look, don't ask for an extension. It's Wednesday. Do what you need to do to get the data you need by Wednesday. Um, and, and, and I've actually had a high C say to me, Mark, I'm pretty sure that if we don't get more data, we're going to be in trouble. And I looked at him and said, it's my company. I'm in charge. I'm prepared to be in trouble. I'm in trouble a lot. We're going to be in trouble. Fine. We're using the data we have. And the project turned out fine. And he absolutely felt we were in trouble. <laughs> right, right. So um, let's talk about feedback. Um when you give feedback to a high C, you want to be quiet. You don't want to be forceful. You don't want to try to make them feel better because they're not in touch with their feelings right now. Um, you want to be direct. It's okay to be direct. Um, use uh, uh, the, the, when you get to step three, the uh, here's what happens. Talk about how what they're doing either doesn't make sense or doesn't help in terms of cost-benefit analyses or bottom line or results. Uh, that are aligned with the organization, talking about how it affects the team negatively, talking about how it makes other people feel. Those are not effective. Uh, here's what happens. Step three statements in the feedback model. You certainly want to do it privately uh, and you don't want to do it in, in a way that they perceive as cavalier. Um, one way you can, when you get to step four for adjusting feedback, you can ask them if they can think, quote unquote, think of a quote, more effective, unquote, way. In other words, rather than saying, hmm. how could you do this differently? Say, hey, can, can we brainstorm or can you think of a way to do this more effectively, more efficiently, more rationally? Those are the kind of phrases you want to use when delivering feedback to a high C. And you can expect quiet acceptance from them. And then they may come back in a couple of days and say, I've got some questions about that feedback you gave me. And the high I says, all I did was say you were five minutes late to work. <laughs> Why would you have questions about that? <laughs> right. How about coaching? Allow yourself some long lead times, okay? Expect your meetings to take a little bit longer. Now, there's nothing wrong with that inherently. Just don't go into it expecting to get it done in 15 minutes and then be ticked off when it takes 30 minutes. That's not effective. Expect them to do tons of research on the resources. When you get your brainstorming step, when you sit down and talk with them about the possible resources they can avail themselves of, don't be surprised if they have 20 more than you ever expected, and, and notebooks or, or, or printouts from the web and so on. And, and this is, again, really critical that you hold them to timelines. If they say, 
In week three, I'm going to be here. In week three, if they're not there, don't give them another week because everything starts getting pushed back. And if in week three they push it back by a week, that means now we're in week four. And and for the week five stuff, they're going to push it back another week. And now you're two weeks behind. And it's just a never-ending, like I said, it's rotating deadline hell. You're going to have to hold them to those timelines that you agree to up front. And then lastly, what we've been doing, Mike, is we talked about what happens if you report to a high C? And if you're a high I, you just grin and bear it, I guess. Um, be, boy, you sure as heck better be on time and be accurate with every report. Um, you need to definitely show them the bottom line. Do cost-benefit analyses of any recommendation you make. If you make a recommendation and say, our folks will love it, that doesn't excite them. Nope. Improved retention, reduced personnel hiring and training costs, that's exciting to them. Okay. Numbers. Use lots of numbers. Um, and when you when you make a recommendation to them, be aware of what processes, systems, procedures, uh, and policies you might be in conflict with, disagreeing with, or suggesting that we change, so that you know the full effect of what you're suggesting. Because they're going to go look at the policies and procedures and make a recommendation back to you. Hey, do you know you're out vi- you're violating these three or four things? What are we going to do about that? They may be okay with violating if if the way you're suggesting is better, but you ought to know that you're violating them when you're presenting or when you're delivering. You definitely want to provide everything in writing first. Don't just pop your head in and say, "Hey, real quick, I had a great idea. I wanted to share it with you." Definitely, that, that doesn't work. Definitely send emails in advance. And they're famous for sending long emails um, yeah. with attachments that they absolutely expect you to have read. Um, they're not called emails. They're called tomes. Tomes. That's right. I, I remember that. Tomes. Um, yeah, I, I find um, that if I look at an email and the scroll bar is active, it's not a good <laughs> sign for me. <laughs> um, and for high C, they're like, great, more data. Good. They, they're going to explain to me what they want from me. They're going to explain it in detail. That's good. And then lastly, don't be surprised if in one of their long weekly emails they send you when they're writing at night because they don't necessarily are, they're not as comfortable as you are if you're a high I or a high S. They're not as comfortable interacting with you. So they, they you know, two nights a week, they stay a couple hours and draft a long email to you telling you what they want done and what the team should be working on for the next three or four days. Don't be surprised if you just kind of scan it and then they say, hey, where's my report? And you go back and reread their email and there's a deliverable buried in the middle of their email. And they don't break it out yeah. and make it easy to see necessarily. You've got to read their emails. Yeah, no. yeah, they assume you're reading all the details, right? They're detail-oriented. They're going to assume that you are, yeah, absolutely. you're doing the same yeah. thing. We tend to see the world not the way the world is, but the way the way we are. So I see everybody else as being friendly and outgoing and warm and personable. And the high C says, I really don't see people that way. I see them as detail conscious (laughs) or dumb. (laughs) Horseman, we see you as dumb. (laughs) You're not not detail conscious enough. Now, look, usually we have a lot of high C's. Um, I'm one of them, but we have a lot of high C's um, probably listen to us, given kind of what you talked about earlier, the, the kind of landscape of podcast listeners today. So given that and um, I know we have a lot of high tech listeners as well um, because I've talked to many of them Um, give us some clues if you would if if you're a high C what are like you know two or three things that high C's do that in the corporate world really put them at a disadvantage that that they could personally work on if they want to be more effective in the workplace gosh i mean are you asking for two or three you just want me to give you a quick list of a bunch look they close their door when they close their door when they're in their office 
or they send emails to people that sit five feet away from them. I, I, I tell you, that's shameful. It doesn't work. It's it's rude to twenty five to fifty percent of your audience. It's believe me, executives, lots of high D's, lots of high C's, and plenty of high I's in executive roles and high S's, because um, executive roles are about leveraging people to accomplish things. Um, unless you're in a purely IT organization, if you're part of an IT organization that serves a marketing organization, for instance, much like your background, Mike, you've got to you've got to embrace. The high I. And, you know, we joke about high D and high C, Mike. And let me just take a little detour here real quick and say we joke about that. But remember, all of us have all four of the styles present in us at all times. And so what you've got to do is if you're a high D, high C, you've got to recognize as you grow in your career, you're going to have to pull that high I and high S up at various times. If you're an executive, if you're a manager or a, a wannabe manager and you want to become a director or an executive, you've got to grab that high I and push it up if it's really, really low. Um, and yes, that means your D and C will come down a little bit. You'll have to be willing to embrace situations where you go on your gut, sorry, high C's, rather than just piles and piles of data. Um, so, so some things they do, again, they close their door or they sit at their computer and send emails rather than reaching out. They don't build their network, okay? They don't know the names of the kids of people around them. They don't make eye contact when conflict is inevitable with a high D boss who says, anybody who doesn't make eye contact with me is a wimp and doesn't deserve to get promoted to the next level where the decisions are really big and you can get fired if you make a big enough mistake. Uh, they don't create relationships on a personal level with many executives because executive personal relationships are a key part of what makes organizations run. I don't care whether you think that's the right thing or not. The data supports my conclusion that executive relationships at a personal level are how organizations are run. And if you don't have them, you won't succeed. Period. End of story. Don't come crying to me. That was good. That was good. Tell them that the data supports your conclusion. Yeah. That's yeah. Good. Um, uh, your emails are too long. Shorten your emails or provide an executive summary. Well, what you're doing when you, what happens is we send so many emails to our teams, Mike, and this is true of high eyes in a different way. This is how, this is how the, the, the disease, if you will, affects high C's, but it affects high eyes as well, just in a different way. Um, high C's are so used to writing emails to their team and they just engage their natural style because I'm the boss and I get to talk the way I want to. And they send long emails to their team that their team probably doesn't have time to read and probably gets frustrated by them. Um, and then they turn around and turn long e send long emails to their peers and their bosses. And let me tell you, peers and bosses don't have to read it, and they don't read it. And then they wonder why, the high C wonders why everybody else doesn't see things the way they see it. Well, it's because I didn't read your email, because I don't have time, because you're not my boss, and because you don't dictate how I spend my time. And, and one of the rules about email, if it's more than three or four paragraphs with three to four sentences per paragraph, it's too long. If it's that long, there's going to be too many possibilities for misinterpretation, and you should be in my cubicle at my desk talking to me about this and giving me the subtlety that can only be provided with voice communication. And it's no better to print out the email, print out the Excel spreadsheet, print out the PowerPoint, and bring it to my desk. That's no better. Okay. Yes, technically, I will flip through the PowerPoint, although I won't look at the Excel spreadsheet. Um, and and I will have flipped through it, which maybe if you saw that, that may be worse than actually looking at it, you know, not looking at it at all. Um, they tend to underestimate other people's emotions. Uh, and when people get their feelings hurt, they're going to be less effective. And, and high C's classically say, I, I really, you know, 
It's the old army phrase. If, you know, if the army wanted you to have feelings, they'd issued you some. Well, unfortunately, people do have feelings. And if you hurt somebody's feelings by saying something very direct and very logical and very rational, but it's disagreeing with their emotions in a meeting, and I'm not suggesting we become warm and fuzzy psychologists and counselors and ther- social therapists, okay? But if you, if you reply logically to something that was emotionally based and you hurt somebody's feelings, that person is going to be less effective going forward. You must be willing to embrace some personal nature of work and relationships. Um, and, and if you are alone in your cubicle as an executive, you are by definition less effective than when you are with other executives. And high C executives love being alone and they wonder why they get passed over for promotions. It's because they're not playing golf. And golf is definitely overrated, even though I love golf, it's overrated because they're not going for drinks at the end of the day with the right people um, because they're not in the place where those things, those discussions are happening. Is that enough? Yeah. Thanks for those two or three things. I'm I'm sorry. (laughs) I can uh, do the same thing for, you know, and let me just be clear. I happen to be a high I, but an ID, I can do the exact same thing for high I's, high D's and high S's. And and probably we ought to do that in a future cast in terms of, okay, let's talk about the weaknesses because, because we all have got them. The beauty of it is, look, if we want to build a team, Mike, you know, your high C is something that I can't replicate or, or I don't want to replicate strong enough. I don't want to spend that much time on it. So I rely on that from you. We need a high S with us because, boy, let me tell you, we get a couple of we need a couple more high D's on our team and we'll be chewing people up and spitting them out. Um, you know, yeah. a, a great team is one that has all the styles together. You don't build a great team with five high D's. It doesn't work because they all point at each other and say, you do it. <laughs> and yeah, you don't. I, I learned a, I learned a very valuable lesson from a guy I worked for one time, Mike Callahan, and he said, um, at evaluation time, he said, you know, Mike, you're doing great, but the problem is that all your directs are just like you. Wow. And, That's great. And, you know uh, what? That is great feedback. And when I think about it, when I think about Kathy and Mark and so on, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't have any, uh, yeah. Yeah. We didn't, ha- we didn't have any high S's and the one high S I had, I didn't have very long. <laughs> <laughs> not because of that. Right, not, right. not because of that, but, right. but, um, um, yeah, yeah I, so it's, it's, I think that's a good future cast for us to do is talk about what, how the weaknesses show themselves and what we can do to dampen those a little bit. Although I'll put a caveat in, and I know some people have heard me say this before. We don't want to spend too much time shoring up our weaknesses at the expense of developing our strengths. We want to know what our weaknesses yeah. are and catch ourselves before we step in the puddle. Um, but we don't want to make it our life's work to improve on our weakness because all that does is take time away from developing our strengths, which is really the way you get ahead. The way you make a bigger difference in the world is by leveraging your strengths. Right. And same way to think about your subordinates when you're looking, you're walking through this. There stuff. you go. So, all right, great. Thanks, partner. This is, uh, this is great stuff. So yeah, we, we need to come back and I think, um, bookmark this, these set of podcasts on DISNC by coming back and do an overview across the various profiles and talking about it in a way that um, highlights again once the the differences and similarities between the various profiles. Yeah, what you said, I agree. Good. All right, Thanks, man. partner. See you later. Bye. Thanks once again for joining us today, and thanks for taking the time to register on our website. If you have any questions or comments about the disc model or the show in general, please join us in the discussion forums at Manager Tools www.manager-tools.com/forums. Or as always, you can write us at show at manager-tools.com. Now, like I said last time, now that you have this knowledge on the DISC model, go use it. 
Start simply, focusing on noticing others' behavior, as well as your own. Then go back and review these podcasts and try altering your communication style just a bit to improve your effectiveness. You'll be simply amazed at the difference it can make. So, with that, thanks again, and we'll talk again soon. So long, folks.